imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Is a science thing. Is a science place. Is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time for... Protonic Reversal. The one and only, baby. That's right. I'm going to hit the game show correct button because it's relatively early and i am got entirely different energy. Hey, hey, welcome to another stay-at-home edition of Protonic Reversal. Thanks for tuning in. If you're tuning in live, thanks for downloading. If you're listening on a podcast, thanks for streaming, whatever. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this. Thank you. Just thank you. Brian Walsby. Today, he's mostly known as a cartoonist these days. Or as the Melvin's merch guy slash flash artist, uh, instant artist, flash artist. I don't know. That's, that 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 makes me that makes it sound like he's flashing people. He's definitely not flashing people. He makes these awesome parody album covers and cartoons in real time of the Melvin shows related to like in jokes and humor things along those lines. Uh, really good, really interesting stuff. He also has a comic called Man Child. He played in Polvo briefly. A fascinating guy. Really cool. He's writing a book currently that is coming out whenever books can come out. I'm not entirely sure. We'll find out when all that happens. That's about uh, self-employment, living life as an artist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Stuff along those lines. So, uh, yeah, fascinating dude. Looking forward to talking to him. We've actually talked about doing this for a really long time. I'm glad we're finally doing it. So, apparently it took a global pandemic to make that happen. (laughs) But here we are. So, uh, housekeeping, house cleaning, sure. We'll clean up while we're at it. Thanks, everybody, for the props on the more recent episodes sharing them around that's how folks find out about the show is when you let people know so if you like what you hear yeah uh spread it around that that's always a nice thing to to do and we appreciate that if you are wondering where your favorite episode is because it hasn't come out yet just remember that you can join the patreon patreon.com slash protonic reversal you'll get everything very quickly I'm not going to say immediately, but very quickly. And 
You'll have the episodes sooner than everyone else. You can already be tired of them by the time the general population actually listens to them. The news will already be broken. The epiphanies already coalesced into old news for you. So you can be you can be ahead of the of the cool kids curve for the esoteria that is the <laughs> whatever this show covers. So hey, if you're interested in that, it's a dollar a month, twelve dollars for the course of the year. And yeah, that's it. That's the pitch. You know, it's, it's certainly not compulsory. We're catching up. The Toshi Kasai episode went up later today. Uh, Falco's going to be up to, uh, probably later today in my personal timeline. And Dwayne Dennison It's going to be next, I believe. So we're catching up. We'll get there. But it also helps grow the show, uh, helps support the show. So thanks for all that. I feel like these i feel like i've fallen into doing these pitches and i don't freaking like it but it's fine like i said it's housekeeping right so we're gonna get into it with brian walsby looking forward to that i want to make sure everyone is staying safe so hope uh hope life's treating you okay and if it's not <laughs> well i hope things get better so let's go. Uh, when we come back, we'll be uh, we'll be here with Brian Walsby. Cool. That was a little shiny beast action for you. Uh, shiny beasts. They were a uh, band from North Carolina, a, a band from Raleigh, I believe, if I remember correctly. And sort of, I don't know if you could call them math rock or not, but uh, interesting band sort of, uh, well, you, you would know them if you were a fan of Manchild. So with that, I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Brian Walsby. Brian, welcome, man. Hi, how you doing? Good, good talking. Hello. We're, we're finally doing it. Is that live? <laughs> it is live, yeah. Holy cow! I'm live on the 
internet radio podcast thing. Yeah, well, thanks for asking me to talk to you live on the internet. Yeah, we. It, it's funny because I was mentioning earlier that talking about having you on for like a few years at this point and it just didn't seem to work yeah. out like the timing never worked out and then now it's like oh okay the timing's working out now which <laughs> there's a lot of free time that everybody has all of a sudden for whatever reason i don't know what, why but it you know just being at home a lot lately i it's the weirdest thing and then everybody spontaneously seems like they're at home too yeah everyone like, suddenly has all this that time. There was a, i don't understand i don't know you think that there was like a pandemic or something that Everybody alive right now have have never ever lived through or yeah. something. You know, it's something weird like that. Very, very odd. Very yeah, very so. odd situation. Maybe I should turn on the news. It's a really odd on. situation. <laughs> well, how are you doing with all this? How how are you doing with all this pandemic stuff? Uh, you know, I'm I'm getting by. I'm sort of halfway maintaining sanity doing these shows because you know oh, yeah. certainly can't tour. You know, can't record, can't yeah. do other things that, that I that give any sort of pleasure out of this banal, mediocre, yeah. misery uh, marathon that is life. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like... That's been good. How about I don't yourself? Know. It's weird. It's Well, uh, you know, like, we... It's me and my partner, Kristen, mm-hmm. and our we, we both have daughters, and um, I share mine with her mother, and she lives, like, up the street, so she's here half the time. And as far as... Um, Kristen's daughter, we actually rescued her from New Jersey from her father, like right before all this stuff, like, you know, oh, right man. when we first started to hear the reports of everything. So we drove up to New Jersey, picked her up, and with her father's blessing, said she's not safe here, and you just take her back here for an indefinite amount of time. And right before that happened, my mom was supposed to fly out here and stay with us, and you know, I we just talked on the phone. I think it was like the, the seventh. Like she was supposed to come out March tenth. So March seventh, I remember I talked to her and said, uh, "You should probably stay there, my seventy-five-year-old mother, because this seems, you know, it's like why why take the chance?" And then right when that happened, we found out about getting getting Bell. That's Kristen's daughter's name. And we spent the night in New Jersey when we got her, and it was right before the shit hit the fan, and we just barely got out of there. Less than a week later, all that stuff started to happen. Yeah, so, yeah. Then, then suddenly so there's uh, their bodies in like refrigerated trucks and things uh, along those lines. It escalated very quickly. Yeah, it's it's totally insane. And like, so we knew right away that it's like, okay, well, we're just gonna have to stay home, and hopefully, we can self police ourselves enough to be safe. And so far, everybody involved in this very small universe that I'm in know has done it but uh yeah it's weird so now it's at the point where you know we're si- I, i'm 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 at this point where i can't help but react at least because i can't react in person to anybody i'm even on social media even more which is like a mixed mixed blessing but i gotta <laughs> say that there's been it, like yeah. some <laughs> yeah but i gotta say that like in in some ways you know it's always been a, a good thing and a tool that's helped me out a lot for sure you know but now it's like, you know, I can talk to people. People can talk to each other. There's podcasts. There's video things. So I think everybody seems to have the right idea as far as trying to stay sane. So, so far, you know, everything's fine. You know, there's, there's a day here and there where the enormity of what happens really just just hits home. Like, yeah. holy crap. But, you know, like a lot of what I do, you know, not much has really changed. You know, I'm, I'm sort of an introverted person, and I don't really like being around a lot of people anyway. So... It's not quite as bad for me as it would be for like an extroverted person. Right. But having said that, it's it's obviously nothing 
you know, nothing, nothing I really want to, uh, to deal with, but at the same time, it's like, you know, most people know what to do. And as we're seeing lately, a lot of people don't, or not a lot, but just enough. So it's just, the whole thing is very bizarre. That's for sure. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fascinating that now we're starting to see not just, uh, well, scenes that are like straight out of a zombie movie for people wanting things to open up where, uh, it's just, it's just like weaponized, certain type of mindset that is, is, is very much like, Hey, what about me? I want to cut my, you know, like it's called, it's called, it's called stupidity. It's also like those people. And like, I think I've done a really good job of not trying to like turn it into a political thing because a pandemic doesn't care who you voted for. You know, pandemic is not a living thing that, no, this is like science. This is not politics, and if you don't believe it's science, then you're done. You know, it's like, just look at what's going on with science and trust those people. And it's like, I, I've done a good job of when I have to interact. I'm not mentioning or assuming that everybody involved that's an idiot, you know, thinks one way. I right, think most right. people in general <laughs> are just stupid, you know? Like, yeah. people can't even self-police themselves. They, people can't even, like, like when you go to... Uh, like a grocery store and you like have a shopping cart, what are you supposed to do without anybody telling you when you're done, you put it back. How many people just can't do that? You know, people just can't, they can't self police themselves for any reason. I'm not trying to turn this chat. into just me bitching about that stuff, but no, no, I've been I mean, on my mind and this is going on. You know, it's like people can't, people are too dumb to self police themselves or they're just, too selfish and stupid, and we're certainly seeing a lot of that now. It's like my rights are being well. Everybody's rights are yeah, being. Yeah. Oh, it's you. You're, yeah, like, oh, you, you know, are the only not, one having your. You're rights not special. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah, you're not special. I'm, I'm. I'm dealing with like two small children, you know, and it's not like everybody has to be a parent. And when you're a par- when you sign up to be a parent, you're a parent. But it's like when I read about people, oh, I'm so bored. It's like, dude, you know, and, and they're childless. <laughs> and like, you got. You can do whatever the fuck you want. You know, shut up. Yeah, the luxury of like, boredom. <laughs> the luxury of boredom. Yeah, it's a luxury problem. Anyway, so yeah, you know, um, we're, we're, we're doing pretty okay. And people have been very kind and generous to me. I'm, you know, people are still buying things that I draw on stuff. And I'm really surprised and I really appreciate it. And, you know, I... It, it, it almost turns out that I might be in a slightly better, better situation as far as uh, my whatever profession, which is just being self-employed, and you know, certainly people that play instruments. I, I'm I feel really weird about that, you know, because like so much of what I do is tied into the universe of people playing instruments. But it's like, you know, we've done a few things so far, and uh, it's me and Charles from Bifocal, we've, we've done a few t-shirts with people in this pe- post-pandemic age and the response to those, like we did a Napalm Death shirt the other day and we did a Dinosaur Junior shirt yeah, and that, that response has been really you know, good. People want to help out and like the Dinosaur Junior shirt at least is half of the proceeds goes to the people that work for them and whatever and that you know, so you know hopefully we'll be able to do more of that and I guess what I'm trying to say is I've I feel pretty lucky that people are still willing to spend their hard-earned money during a situation like this, and I don't take it lightly. But yeah, the whole thing is just very weird, very strange, especially for people that play music and they can't yeah. go anywhere, or tour, or do whatever. It, it's rough, you know. It's uh, I'm sure 
I'm sure a lot of people are having very tough days occasionally thinking about, you know, can people even, are people going to even be able to gather? Yeah. You know, like, so that's, that's kind of scary. And I'm sure everybody, I'm sure that's come up many times with anybody that plays in the band or plays music or records music or, or whatever. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been a pretty much a constant concern or, for this show with everyone I've talked to and myself inclusive to that. And I think that that's oh, yeah, continue to be the case. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, uh, um, I, I don't know. I don't have any great way of summing it up, but, uh, you know, so far everything's fine. (laughs) Well, and I think you, so you hit on a few interesting points. First of all, the (laughs) stupidity doesn't have a political alignment flat out. And I don't, I I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I've done a really good job of just keeping that name of the dude that's in, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't (laughs) like him, but up until, you know, I don't like him either, but I don't like any of them. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I don't trust, and I, and I think the people that you should trust the least are the ones that appear to be on your side, your supposed side, more than the, the person that isn't. So with that as a gauge, I've just, you know, I've uh, there's certain things that people can be held accountable for, and then there's other things that people just, you know, it's just easy to blame, you know, this figurehead or that idiot yeah. or whatever, and I think they're all idiots. So I've done a pretty good job of not, you know, don't politicize my pandemic, brother. You know, it, I think people are just stupid. I mean, in I general, think yeah, and 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 I and I share that worldview that you know, as as much as I would like people to be critical thinking individuals who <laughs> who can, it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's obviously it's, not. It's people rich. just want to be on TV. People just want to be on TV. Look, mom, I'm on TV, man. Look what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm on TV. It's like you know, who the fuck? Cares? Oh, it's just sorry. You caught me out of time. Where I'm, it's been very much on my mind these no, last dude, couple days just it, watching just watching all the people like you know like I gotta go to the beach it's like, yeah do you what really? about the healthcare worker that has to has to try to save your stupid ass yeah. that you're you know could endanger it's just like it's just crazy but spring you know? break man I mean and, <laughs> yeah spring break but you know so I've done a good job of just like you know I, I just think that it's just too easy to say well these people are all these type of people, you know. Although I will say this, I think Trump finally, you know, has handled all this stuff really badly, and it's going to be really hard for all the much smarter people, not necessarily working for him, but, um, you know, because I don't think any everybody that voted for that person is an idiot. I no, of course not. I mean, some people just wanted to person. send a message, like, blow it up. Some people, you know, just didn't like sure. the other person. Some, you know, it's, right. it's not, everyone doesn't, doesn't vote or interact with a uniform action in mind. It's foolish yeah, to say well, so. people are just, and people are just so caught up in this, this is my team and that's your team. And it's like, man, I don't trust any politicians. And when all this right. stuff started, I just thought, I trust politicians about as much as I trust the general public. I'm going to stay home. You know, that's just, I'm just going to stay put. Yeah. And if you want to go out there and, and do whatever that, I guess that's your right. But I'm, I'm staying home because I don't trust. Totally. I don't trust anybody right now. You know, uh, well, this is not a situation where you can trust anybody. I think you can trust people to make the worst possible decisions and not think of anything beyond what's immediately in front of them. I think it's actually worse than, than not being able to trust them. I think you can trust them to make bad decisions almost at this point. And, uh, uh, uh. Sure. And that's just, sure. that's just our environment, right? And again, that's because we don't value a culture that asks the right questions and, and supports critical thinking and things along those lines. And I find it frustrating personally that I'm constantly forced into a position of 
advocating for quote unquote leftist principles when it doesn't really sum up my worldview. It's like, no, I just want to have like some 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 thought about this. Like, don't just like swallow what's like thrown yeah, at you, right? It, yeah, it's like it's like critical thinking. Like, it's almost like saying you can't think about these issues in any in any other way than these two yeah. pointed ways in these two teams. Like, go team, and it's just like that's and I, I you know it, it doesn't take a genius to see that that's how the people in power want. They, yeah. they want people to be pitted against each other. That's like the oldest trick in the book. Well, and, and, and that and, oh, ahead, and that that has nothing that has nothing to do with uh, you know like studying politics for years and years that's just human behavior you know it's just like people are just usually they're not they're not really into critical thinking about anything yeah you know and, and like also like the world is like it's just not a life is tough and the world's just these issues and things are like a lot more complex than people think they are initially and fix this arm is black and white you know and you can just discussing politics is like reading a a maximum rock and roll back issue where everybody's talking about <laughs> what punk rock is. Or right, like, right, right, right. After this thirty is or forty, <laughs> after thirty or forty years, well, punk rock means, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, well, you know what? I a lot, there's a lot about punk rock that I always oh, fucking hated. You know, I hated the. There's so much. Oh, you know. Well, sure. So, 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 yeah. Speaking to that earlier point, I think there's a, a former guest of the show, friend of the show, Rick Valentin from the Poster Children, said something incredibly smart. And it was like you know six years ago, something along those lines. I can't remember when it was, but he's talked about how yeah. one of the things that he found so frustrating with modern culture is it, it's like a culture of enforced radicalization, where you are just forced into like one box or the other, and there's no nuance allowed to any arguments or views because it's like, well, you're either this team or that team. And I think that that's yeah. not how humans work. That isn't how politics should work. And it's not how culture yeah, should work yeah. either. And I do, I think that's an excellent analogy because anyone that, for the younger listeners, maximum rock and roll, <laughs> one of the definitional punk rock scenes. Yeah. Like it, it's, yeah. they had strict definitions of what and, and was not punk that often were, Filter down through well, the they, uh, viewpoints of Tim Yohannan and uh, right, uh, but Tim, but Tim was always a really nice guy to me. I mean, I'm I'm an old fart talking about Maximum Rock and Roll, and half the people reading this are like, "What are you talking about?" But uh, you know what? It's it funny. was uh, it was a very pivotal <laughs> magazine at one time, and I, I'm older. I, I I'm pretty sure I'm older than you, obviously. So it, back when I discovered that, it was a really important magazine. And they would have these letters, these letter sections, and this is before the internet, so you had to write letters to people. You had to actually yeah. sit down and write letters, and that weeded out a lot of people. Like, you know, because if you have to go through the trouble of knee-jerk responding to something that you don't like, and you have to write a letter, you have to go through a lot of steps to make sure that you know what you're talking about. You know, yeah, you have to really, really not Davis, like it. You, know? <laughs> you have to really commit to yeah, it. Yeah, you have to really not like it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, you know, crazy, crazy people writing letters to, uh, to, to newspapers and, you know, that are offended by something and they just gotta let you, they gotta let the people know, I do not like this. And, but you know, there's, you have to write a letter, you gotta sit down, you gotta like put it in an envelope, you gotta get a stamp, then you gotta fucking mail it, you know? So, um, Maximum Rock and Roll, their letter section, it was this endless discussion of trying to define what punk rock was and what it wasn't, and it's very similar to talking about politics. Or, and politics were obviously very much wrapped up in a lot of aspects of punk rock back then and now, I guess. So it's just like, you got this endless diatribe of just, you know, ugh. and after a while, it's like, man, you know, I, I don't need to really spend 45 years worrying about what 
somebody thinks punk rock is or what somebody thinks a conservative is or what somebody thinks a liberal is or whatever. So I try to stay away from that. And this pandemic's just a great example of just like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of factors there, but it's just a lot more complex than anybody really well, I can't say that everybody, but you know what I'm saying. The, the, the most folks, the general populace, and unfortunately, American culture, well, world culture, doesn't crave nuance. Usually, uh, you know, some folks do. Oh no, nuance has been nuance has been left behind a long time ago, a long time ago. You know, so it's 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 kind of a weird thing, but uh, you know. So we're definitely living in interesting times for sure. So I, I want to talk t- to you a bit about. Well, first of all, I, I played I played a Shiny Beast track before I had you on, uh, which oh yeah, from the the boner the boner record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. which is funny because I just had Mike Moraski on, and uh, there's been there's been a lot of boner records content. On. I said I should have Tom Flynn on at some point, but uh, yeah, Tom's Tom's really funny. His new his new band is great too. Antler Family. We played with them in Oakland. They were they were awesome. I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> Pleasant surprise. Is that with uh, the guy Sammy from Fang? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I believe so. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I think I think that's well. And and Mia, who uh, runs the Uptown, and uh, just like a bunch of, of folks that have been around for a while. But like good, a good example of a new band of old, of. Ooh, I should choose my words carefully. Of season. No, that's okay. Old guys, <laughs> older folks that are, that are doing good work. <laughs> And like you might as well, you might as well say it. You, know? <laughs> you can't say youngsters. Yeah, exactly. They're Fresh young. up and young Tom Flynn, the young, yeah, young up and coming Tom, Tom Flynn. Love you, Tom. He but, played guitar and destroyed the handicaps <laughs> forty years ago. Forty years. Oh my god. Still in the game. <laughs> yeah. Still in the game. And doing cool <laughs> stuff. Like it's it's uh you know it's really interesting. But uh yeah so I but anyway so I, I played played some shiny beast earlier and it, it kind of reminded me when because you were talking about you know, the sorting hat of, like, maximum rock and roll and stuff. And there was that whole, like, God, it sounds so stupid, but there's that whole, like, oh, is it math rock or is it not math rock, like, mindset that happened for Oh, uh, well, math rock, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, Shiny Beast, very first thing we recorded was by far the best thing in our up and down, almost non-existent career of five years. We were just cursed by making this incredible recording right off the bat, and then nothing we ever did came anywhere close but but I, I can't say for the initial for that recording and the initial input we were very much influenced by it was it was me it was this guy named david sullivan that and i was in a band with before called willard that did nothing not, and I, I think there was a sam oh seattle willard actually like a grungy sort of band okay. formed after all that stuff they actually had a record out we never did it was like 90 or whatever and then we broke up, and then David had all these great riffs, and that turned into, and they were kind of, for lack of a better word, they were kind of math rocky. But we took a huge influence from um, basically Penn Rawlings. Yeah, the Penn Rawlings of uh, we all Because me and David loved Honor Roll, and we loved... Breadwinner. Um, we loved the band. Well, Breadwinner was good, but I actually liked the band that he had in between Butterglove. Butterglove were just this fucking amazing short-lived band that's like that the one i don't know from best. so I, that's, I should check that oh, out. oh man you should find it yeah okay. you can get online it's like a, it's like they they do a live nine song recording and it's like them playing these you know it's really riffy kind of mappy but it's more um it's definitely not as complicated as breadwinner you know breadwinner is great but like i still like honorable and butterglove butterglove were like we stole from butterglove a lot for the shiny beast and then we also 
I think we saw Basra one night, and that was around the time when David was stockpiling all these riffs. So basically everything we had came from um, being influenced by stuff that was, you know, just not hardcore or not punk rock. Or, and we really were influenced by Honor Roll, and they were always a big favorite of ours. And, you know, I think we liked Bastro, and we liked, uh, it was, I think it was before, no, I guess it was around the same time as Spiderland and stuff. And I'm sure we liked that too, but it was, you know, stuff like that. And uh, the, the Jesus Wizard, I'm sure, probably must have existed, but we also liked Scratch Acid, and we saw Scratch Acid. Uh, when they were around the first time and stuff. So it was just kind of like stuff like that. And Black Flag, Latter-day Black Flag. Right, so the, that's, the, that's more, the more like, like academic Black Flag stuff. Like slipping in my war, mainly slipping in. And I know that one of the Shiny Beast songs was totally... We ripped off Steel Pole Bathtub, and I really like that first Steel oh, Pole Bathtub. Yeah, I know the I know the one and you're talking course, about. I can't think of the name, but I do, I do know the one you're talking Butterfly about. Butterfly Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Butterfly yeah. Love. Uh, and of course, we like, the, we like the Melvins too. <laughs> and we like the Melvins too, obviously. Yeah. So, pretty much all that stuff. And then there are maybe Miniman. Miniman. Uh, and um, I like the Tar Babies from Wisconsin. Yep. Uh, they were kind of this underappreciated band that had a. They were like this raging, primitive, hardcore band, and they turned into this sort of funky, but not in a. I don't know. They were always like touted as a band that, well, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers got big, but it could have been the Tar Babies. And yeah, it could have been, but Tar Babies were just sort of better, I guess, and maybe weirder. But so anyway, all that stuff is what went into Shiny Beast. And like I said, unfortunately, the stuff we gave Tom Flynn was basically bound to be the best stuff we ever did. Nothing came close afterwards, unfortunately. That's a yeah. That's a that's hard right. hard problem to have where you sort of top yourself off at the beginning and then you're like, well, what now, guys? <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucks because we had some good songs afterwards, but we switched bass players and the guy that we played with and wrote with initially was kind of we just sort of didn't get along with him. He was a very talented all around player, and some of his ideas are really good too. But uh, we re- replaced him early on, and then we just settled into things, but we just never. We just never did anything that was as good. And we ended up doing a little bit of touring, and Paul Bo took us out, and we, we were friends with them, and we all liked Paul Bo very much. They were like the, the the one band out of that whole Chapel Hole thing that I really... Well, half of them were from Raleigh, actually, but I always liked Paul Bo very much. And uh, so they helped us out and stuff. Yeah, but interesting, we, yeah, iconic like band Raleigh. that sort of made their own... Certainly made their own sound. Mm-hmm. Of it. There's antecedents to what they did, but... Definitely. Yeah, and they were called and they were called Math Rocky too, and I and I really I really don't understand that because I don't really hear a lot of that. Oh, and Shudder to Think they were kind of mathy. Yeah, Shudder to Think was uh, fantastic, and I, th- I think I think they kind oh, of they I didn't really that. get their due in a, in a way, no, even though well, even though the one song was a huge hit and had that weird uh, yeah. MTV video. I think they never got their due. Uh, extra French T-shirt. Yeah. yeah, Pony Express record. That record and the one Get Your Goat. Those are great records, even though it's two different bands. So I'm sure we were influenced by them too. I had Craig on the show actually, and uh, awesome dude. Like really, really like like awesome guy. Very, very good sense of self and uh, uh, good good sense of humor. Yeah, he seems like a really interesting guy. Yeah, he seems like a really interesting guy. He's definitely quirky and talented and. I got some of the solo stuff, and it's good, too. But, yeah, Pony Express Records, that was... I think it was just too weird for people to really latch on to, but 
Uh, that's okay. Well, and it's, it starts off with uh, with Hit Licker, which is like as far as a kickoff songs. Hey, man, I'm in. But like uh, he was saying that the record company insisted on that. Like, oh, no, that's got to be the first song. And they're like, really? <laughs> OK. <laughs> it just goes to show uh, you different it, it, times. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, they tweaked it just enough to where like, you know, like a lot of like like super math rock stuff. I just. You know, my capacity for that. Oh, we had Confessor. We had Confessor, yeah, yeah. Have you heard of Confessor? Yeah, yeah. So they were like totally pioneering metal sort of guys that just did, they, were, they did this very original sound. And like, you know, after you hear, you know, we saw them like 30 times or whatever because we were from Raleigh. And they were always great, really humble, cool guys. And they were enormous around here playing this really, I guess, math rock, you could say that, but. They were influenced by Trouble, but it came out this as this weird, well, you've heard it, it's just super complicated and weird, and then there's this guy singing on top of it, wailing away like Getty Lee, which is really polarizing, so they were, <laughs> right. they were inadvertently very, yeah, I mean, that's just the kind of thing where it's like... No, it's, it's, it's accurate, great, it's just funny to, not, funny to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if you're not, but if you're not... If you're not into that sort of thing, it's really alienating and probably not the kind of thing that you're gonna be able to stomach. But uh, they're about the most extreme math rocky stuff that I still could identify with. And then afterwards, when math rock was a real term, I was probably a little less interested. I guess. Well, well, and those two, two of the dudes from Confessor got together with Penn and made Loincloth, Loincloth. also, which was yeah, which is fucking awesome Great. i mean like just like as someone that's i'm very choosy about my quote-unquote metal listening like i thought that band was very yeah. very interesting yeah I, I i'll put good heavy metal good heavy metal up against anything but it's, there's not a lot but the stuff that i think is really good is as good as anything like to, you know it's very vital and stuff but yeah i'm, I'm very choosy about metal okay so that that's sure. you, you're giving a good a good indicator of, of the uh, North Carolina sort of weird music scene and, and your, and the contemporaries for shiny bees, things along those lines. I, I do want to, I want to talk about the fact that you ended up on a Povo record. You're, you're on the one, uh, you're on shapes. I'm on, I'm on shapes, which is like, which was the most unpopular record they did for a long time. <laughs> but after the band broke up for 10 years, well, this is what's really funny. Like, um, I, I wasn't on all that record, but I was on the record, you know, like, maybe six songs, seven songs. Mm-hmm. And like for some of it, Ash just played drums. They parted ways with their original drummer, Eddie, yeah. Eddie Watkins, unfortunately, uh, now, now deceased. Yeah. RIP. But Eddie was a, Eddie was a really nice guy. They were all really nice guys. And like, um, I, I just kind of came in cause they asked me if I'd play drums and I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And they talked about that there would be like a tour to support the record. We did a record with Bob Weston, who I'm, I'm sure you know, and Bob was a very nice guy, but I think he was, we didn't really, I don't know, it was a very piecemeal recording, and I think Bob was sort of occupied with uh, other stuff that was going on in his life at that moment, and I don't, I'm not saying that to say that that affected the record, but on the other Paul records that he did with them, he gave Eddie this monster drum sound, you know, an exploded drawing, and mm-hmm. uh What's the other one? Uh, um, today's one Active Lifestyles. That's it. Yeah. 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 So he gets this monster drum sound. And then I got this, like, you know, tinny sort of, like, you know, music machine. Not as good as music. Just tinny 
nothing, drum sound, and um, so it was kind of like, uh, you know. But you know, things happen. And then he was uh, he was super nice or whatever, and it was fun to do. But then when the record came out, I guess there was too much rock on it, and people, it was uh, the response was polarizing. Uh, right, so, but, so but, but now people think it's like, oh, this is one of their best records. And yeah, it's actually aged well, exactly, because I think that like the well, one of the songs you're on that that rock post rock song is is a fantastic song. But I remember at the time, I think I was I thought to myself like, oh, I think if this had come out under another, another band name, people might be more into it. But they were kind of just expecting it's, like probably so. Well, that's a Dave song. Dave wrote the the rock songs, and Ash wrote the weirder songs, and right. they were both good. But I kind of gravitated toward. Like, there was a super long song that we worked on that was just me trying to learn his stuff, and I couldn't quite get it. It's like a long instrumental. Yeah, yeah. And then there's another song called Everything in Flames that I thought was really good. And, uh, but yeah, you know, the tour was really good. We we, we had a really, like, a month-long tour, and they were all, you know, I, I, I can't say that, you know, I was best friends with Paulo, but they were, we got along fine. They were nice to me, and <laughs> vice versa, and... Ash was an interesting kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that um, you can sit in a room with him for like a, a hotel room or whatever for like six hours and not say anything, and it's okay. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you know, it's okay to be quiet. Yeah, you, so you can have those spaces. Always, <laughs> yeah, you didn't feel like he had to talk. If, if nobody felt like talking, it was okay. There was, there was nothing wrong, you know, that kind of thing. And Dave and um, Steve were nice guys, and it was a successful tour. Then we came back, Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys died the day we came back. I remember that. Then we played like a couple of last shows to say, this is our most successful tour. Now we have to break up. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I was just getting used to this. So they just broke up. And then 10 years later, they reform and do what I thought was their best record ever with my ex-roommate, Brian Quast, playing drums. Oh, that's, that's the one um, in Prism, right? Is, is that yeah. a... Yeah, that that one's great. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think that's a great record. And uh, you know, um, yeah, those guys, those guys were nice. And um, yeah, I was I was happy that they uh, put out such a strong record after that. Ten years later, and then I think life just kind of crept into their lives, and they all lived in different places. And I think the band is sort of no longer existing. I don't know that for sure, but I think I think they're done. I think they like reissued some of the older records recently. But yeah, the whole Pablo thing is great. And that record, eh, you know, it, it, it's all right. It could have been a lot better, but you know, whatever. What can you do? Just go. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I Just think it's a very home. misunderstood record within <laughs> a very befuddling oh, band's yeah. pantheon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I say that well, as a fan, Dave, befuddling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Dave made us learn all these like cover songs for that tour. Like we uh, we did the whitest version ever. I, I usually hate people say white people ruin everything because I'm white, you know, whatever. But it, I will have to say that we did the whitest version ever of "Freedom" by Jimi Hendrix. Oh, really? I have tapes of it. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'm on it, so I can't really, you know. But like, man, you can't get any more white than Paul Bo doing "Freedom" by Jimi Hendrix. And yeah, we did yeah. it on the whole tour. And then we did like some Who songs, like we did Sparks and whatever, and I, you know, obviously I can't play like that, so I just tried to do my version of it, and um, I think we learned some other covers, too. We did, a, you know, we, we, I had to learn a whole bunch of songs, so we would just rotate the set. But yeah, the whole Paul thing was fun. I wish some of that live stuff um, would be out there more, because that's actually the, 
it sounds better than we were better live on that tour than any part of Shapes, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, but Shapes is fine, and, and I'm proud to be a part of that part of their legacy. It was it was very nice of them to ask me to play, and it was fun, and I had a good time, for sure. Sure, and it's and like I said, songs especially like you know Rock Post Rock, I think have have weathered the years well, and people that don't have that cultural prejudice against rock prejudice against rock music that are more indie rock kind of people yeah i was gonna say cultural baggage of the time but i guess that's just as succinct of a way to say of saying it uh i appreciate it's a good tune you know and then it's just like oh and especially quote unquote the kids when they when they listen to it they're like oh what's this is this is great what's what's the problem and i think that that's yeah it's interesting yeah, well, you know, I was a kid, and kids, but I was always this nerdy, opinionated music nerd kid. So, like, I did my homework, but that, I was still a nerd. But uh, you know how it usually is when kids shoot their mouth off about what they like, what they don't like. I have no idea what you're talking their about, mouth off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> then they go and investigate. Then, then they go and investigate things, and then they realize that they actually like what they criticize because that always is what happens. Oh, it's actually really good. You know, how many times have I done that? Oh, probably a million. You know for sure. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how it goes. But if that influenced people liking shapes anymore, then sure. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's fascinating that I think that, especially being an artifact of that time, that there was this push towards, you know, whatever the hell post rock was, right. That it was, it was just, it, there was not really a lot of appetite for rock coming from a weirder place unless it was an established entity already. And I think for whatever reason, again, sorting hat, Polvo had been put into like sure. weird art band category. Yeah. And like, sure. they just, it, it um, rocked a little too hard maybe <laughs> for people. I don't, sure. I don't know. I well, don't know. you know, I mean like any, any genre of music that you attach something to, you can, it's always the same. There's always a few of them that are like truly great. But then there's a bigger quality that are pretty good. And then there's a massive quality of stuff that just sucks. And, any genre of music is that's that's just how it is across the board with whether it's yeah. called metal or indie rock or and I, and I think a lot of that stuff is just like music journalistic like rock 101 types putting something on something where at the time of you hearing it initially you just thought well this is just really good and then you weren't really bogged down with where it fit into anything or how you could classify it and uh like a good example of that i'm just thinking about this now is like who's your dude's an arcade record yeah, where, where do you put that, that record? Exactly? Really, well, I think that's a great that's a great classic record. You know, that's that's a great record by a great band that really spoke to me at the time, and I still think it's a great record, all of it, more or less. And as the years have gone by, people have attached whatever it is. You know, well, this record means this, and you know, it's this it's the gay Tommy or whatever, and it's like okay, you know, whatever. you know, what I mean, they just like attach stuff to it that you would just never think about in a million years. At the time, I just thought it was a really great record by a great band, you know. And now it's, you know, the rock one, the rock one one types usually take those kind of things and turn it into, uh, you know, whatever. Or take that um, Flint Spiderline record. Of course, when that record came out. They were done. Yeah. Nobody cared about them. They they barely existed in the first place. Yeah. And there were this weird example of just people catching on to this record afterwards. And then they attach all the meaning of where it must fit in, in the world of uh, music, because that's you know that's part of the job of um, 
um, a music fan is to figure out weird theories behind why things exist and and where they sit and what their place is. You know, it's fun. You know, I, I've, done, I've done that millions of times. You know, so um, that's a good example of that kind of thing, for sure. But, you know, they, they, they just have to attach the meaning to it after the fact. Totally, and it's, it's something... Yeah, and I think that's something that especially people that think too hard about music, of which I, I'm certainly in that category, often will do is they'll ascribe meaning based on... Oh, me too. I mean, I, I'm, believe me, I'm not saying that I've done... I, I do that a lot. Like, uh, another example would be like, like I was, you know, being a little bit older, I was, my life was changed by the punk rock hardcore world of the early eighties, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, but at, after a certain point, and this is just my take on it, that world was just getting burned, you know, like by 85, it was like, you know, there was a million, uh, a million bands that played billion miles an hour generic hardcore in the garage. And it just wasn't appealing anymore. And then like during that time where all these, a second wave of bands that weren't, I just like came out of that world, but weren't, you know, they, they, they weren't, they were different. And some of those bands are like, you know, the guys in Dinosaur Jr. All those guys were hardcore guys that read Knox and Knoxville or, uh, or the band Honor Roll. They were all, you know, and they were basically doing this different sort of music um, that obviously wasn't punk rock or hardcore. And then all of a sudden there was like a hundred bands like that. And there was too much exciting great music around the latter part of the eighties that wasn't that you couldn't fit into a box um, that I couldn't ignore because it wasn't fast hardcore. There's you know, there's a lot of really good bands. And then uh and that's when the term like indie rock used to be called college rock. Like the replacement. Right. Like when the replacements <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. uh when the replacements let it be came out, suddenly there was college rock. Who's gonna do? They were, you know, they made Zen Arcade, and then this is just my opinion. They just never did anything as good anymore. And people say, you know, I understand that why people like New Day Rising so much, but, eh, you know. And then College Rock, you know, at REM, they were College Rock. And then all of a sudden, there was this weird thing, and then it turned into Indie Rock for, you know. Yeah. But um, I guess the point being is, like, at the time, there was just so much good stuff, and a lot of it just couldn't. Scratch Acid, that's another good example. Yep, one of my, I, really, I made Scratch Acid shirt when I was in high school, so I'm, I, I, you're speaking my language. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, they, we, they came right after I moved out here, you know, like, uh, they came and played, and it was, you know, they were great, you know, it, but, you know, you couldn't really, there were, like, a lot of other bands at that time, they, they were obviously moving away from this one thing that was kind of tired and just started this whole other, this whole other thing. And there wasn't really a label for it. And then right after, right after that happened, college rock, you know, yeah. people still played music on the radio and, and whatever. So, you know, it was a real interesting time. And the punk rock hardcore world, it was like, I, I think there was, uh, I, I'm saying like 86, 87, there was like, you know, the youth of today and, and, and those guys are really nice, but like I was so not into that. It, it just sounded like a cartoon version of of hardcore to me, or what I liked about hardcore. But they were really influential. You know, people like the Kermacks. I never liked that stuff. So when all that stuff started getting super popular, that was sort of my exit, and then all this other stuff was sort of like the new beginning, I guess. Now. What that has to do with what we're talking about, I don't remember. Well, no, but it's but it's, <laughs> <laughs> sure, but it's, it's still it's still very interesting, and I think that it's it's again with meaning ascribed to events later on. It's always fascinating to hear the takes on folks that were there, 
and to hear yeah, how it actually like, was. Because sometimes you get it right. Like, you know, well, when, I, when I talked to Mike Moraski, who was like, you know, like a half generation, generation ahead of me for the Bay Area yeah. weird music world. But what, it, what I realized is like, oh, no, I got it all right. I just missed a lot of it because I was too young. And then I got, you know, I get to, you get to basically get to nip at their heels and, <laughs> and hear all the stories. Yeah. But, you know, but, you know, there's a, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff I wasn't able to see. You know, I missed out on a lot of stuff, too. I mean, my first show was like in 1983. And there was, you know, there's a whole world of music, not just punk rock or weird music. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff I would have liked to have seen, but I just... You know, I couldn't have seen it. I was yeah. too young or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't, so, yeah, that's fine. It used to upset me. Like years ago, I would, like when I was younger, I was like, oh, it sucks. I, you know, I, I, you know, wasn't allowed in to see that because it wasn't all ages. And I used to get so pissed off about it. And now it's like, I've seen so much awesome stuff that I was, I was kind of looking at the wrong way. I was like, no, that was, that was their time. And like, you've had similar times and like people would like kill for those yeah. experiences and it's all okay. It's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, like, I don't like going to see live music anymore though. You know, like I think there's like this, maybe because of, uh, you know, like I spent 10 years working for the Melvins. I, mean, know, I was, was going to say, it's like, funny. That, it's funny. You would say that when it's like the, what you do a vast majority of the time is your ashes, but well, I mean, it, you're not it, going it, to see live music. You're going there to get punished no, by people asking a banal minutia questions. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm going, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to work and, uh, you know, I was grateful. It was a good thing to meet those guys. They've been friends for a long time. I'm super grateful of the opportunities I got. Um, but it's a job, you know, and after like, you know, uh, it's been a long time and I'm not, I don't really have the personality for my job. Really? Yeah. Cause you're an you introvert know? really like, at heart. So it's like, it's you know. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, like any band, any band that plays music, um, you know, I think everybody that ever has been in the band and especially with me watching those guys and watching how they just keep on going, you know, and uh, you know, they're, they're real smart, but watching those guys are thinking of all the other people that have, Learn bands and that's their job and these the people that work for them it's like all those people that play music can leave like you know because like I think everybody that plays in the band at that level was super grateful for being able to be there and having people show up year after year and are really excited and really into it but you know and this is me just saying this this, this, is, this isn't me speaking for anybody else or anybody I've worked with or any and the other bands, it's just like you don't always want to meet the people that are really into you, right? Right? It's usually a very awkward thing, and I've done it too. You know, I've met some, you know, when I was younger, I'd be like, so, uh, you know, just and it's just an unfair, you know, the person that you admire, they're at a, they have an unfair advantage over you, yeah. And you know, everybody's just a person, and I've seen so many examples of well-meaning weird encounters and it's like you know i think people really mean well and stuff but you know you add alcohol to it and you add a lack of social cues and you just have a potentially big mess and anybody that plays in the band could just go backstage or leave but i you know if you sell merch you just have you can't go anywhere so it's it, the dynamic is really weird but because of all that and also just being old now, you know, like I already saw all the good stuff I want to see and I still love music as much as I ever have loved and it's still very important, but like I just don't have the patience to, and, and 
you know, around here locally, if I go out and see a show, which doesn't happen too often, I have to really want to be there. And then I show up and I feel very, like my social awkwardness is totally hits the roof. You know, like I didn't used to feel so out of place, but now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an old dude. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it's just very awkward and I just don't have the tolerance, you know, and which is a far cry from when I was a kid, of course, oh, get to see the Venom in 1985. This is awesome. And there's a certain point where everything that you do is great and everybody that you see is great, no matter how good or bad it is, because you're excited to be there. You're right. Right. But it's kind of hard. It's, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But it's, it, it's just hard to keep that up. And especially if you work for a exciting rock band, you know, for a long time, that's going to probably, you know, <laughs> that's going to, that's only going to strengthen your resolve to not want to go, you know, and I've had people say, well, it used to be such a big part of your life. You know, how do you, what do you, what do you do? Or, you know, so, well, I don't know. I, I just changed. You know, I, I, I sold all my records 20 years ago and it was a great purging experience. And I'm, I don't knock people for having records or whatever, but it was like, it was a burden to be honest. It was, and now it's like, that's a part of my life that I already had. But I'm only, but that's, you know, that's not me saying that anybody else that still does that sucks and they're a fucking asshole. It's just like, I put, I invested so much time into all that stuff and knowing about everybody and knowing about everything, going to a record store every day. I was totally into it. And then I was so into it that when I was not into it, I was really not into it. And it just seemed like I was, I was done. So going to see a lot of music certainly was a big part of that, you know, how I was. I guess. Well, and you cover a lot of these topics. Absolutely. And you cover a lot of these topics in the comic book. In, in Manchild, you've, you've taken a lot yeah. of these feelings and stories and sort of illustrated them out, which I find very interesting yeah. because it's a story that isn't generally told. No. Like it's very have, you seen, have you read that? Well, have you read that Sam McFeeders book that you just did? No, I really want to. I, I really would like to check that out because I, I think he's a fascinating dude. Yeah, he's really a good writer, and he's funny, but also the whole book is like, there's a lot of, you know, like, I don't have, I'm not around people that I can talk about Discharge with, or those old punk experiences, or even just like, being obsessed with certain bands that have nothing to do with punk rock, whatever, so like, when you meet somebody like that, or read something from somebody like that, from your quote-unquote tribe, you know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, this guy gets it, you know, right. and and there's a lot of sentimentality there, but at the same time, his book is totally not sentimental at all. And a lot of those books about punk rock or some music and stuff, there's a lot of chest thumping and, you know, there's a lot of glory, you know? Well, the truth is there was, most of the times there was no glory, you know, there's, you know, and people like to, uh, pump up a reality that wasn't really there in the first place. So a lot of his book is like that. It's like, there's no glory. You know, bad stuff happens, bad thoughts happen. He talks a lot about how, you know, he never thought about it before, but he's like, you know, this weird subculture of music actually attracted a lot of people with mental illness. Yep. And I thought about that and I was like, that's absolutely right. There's a, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean in a um, grand scheme sort of way, but yeah, there, there's a lot of crazy people that I remember, you know, there's something about that that's true. So his whole book is like really great, and there's these funny essays about that kind of stuff. And he, 
I interviewed him for my upcoming book, and he gave me a very good interview, and that was like a year ago, and he told me about his new book, and he said, well, some of the stuff that you're talking about is sort of mirrors, I mean, not, not completely what I'm going to be doing, but some of that's in there. And then his book came out, and it was like really tremendous, you know, so I definitely recommend it. It's a good book. Did you say you'll be hearing from my lawyer, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea of even having having a lawyer or being able to afford a lawyer is pretty funny off the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not exactly the thing that... Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll be hearing from my imaginary lawyer. So I uh, have in my mind, and I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, before we. I, I do want to talk about the book, but I, I'd like to also talk a little bit more about the Manchild Comics, and that it's okay. Usually, tends to be trends towards like one page uh, panel yeah. stories, and uh, they've mostly collected in a few books that are they're available for people to buy if if uh, people yes. feel so inclined. If you're yeah, a comics person, um, there's a couple that are still in print. Most of them were done by uh, this company called Bifocal Media, which right. is ran by this friend of mine named Charles Cardello. We've worked together for like, oh God, I don't know when I met him, probably 15 years ago at this point. But he basically, back when there was a music industry and people would buy ads and stuff, we basically put together four books and we got ads from all the record labels at the time and that sort of paid for the book and we had the distributor and he, there's two of them left in print, and if you go to Bifocal Media, you can get those, but there's only two left. The other two are sold out, and then there was another one, the first book. You're talking about editions, not back. actually like two copies left, right? I mean, no, not two copies. Okay, I was going to say. Yeah, 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 yeah I, I know for a fact that there's only two copies left, so if you act fast after you hear this, you can get them. Yeah, Otherwise, I was going to say, you probably would have sold out by the end of that sentence if that was the case. Yeah, but you know, like, when the books first started coming out, you know, it, it was right, I, I, I had stockpiled a lot of stuff before I had a daughter, you know, because I, I had all this work and no, no home to put it all in. So when the first book came out, which is before Charles, that was the first place where a lot of it went. But then the books started to come out, and I'd work on them, and then, you know, Willow was born, and that's probably why you don't really see a lot of comic book stories that last a long time, because I don't have the time to really to really do it. And also, like, you know, a lot of the Manchild stuff was me looking back, and I looked back so much for the first two or three books or four books. So when that happened, I just used up all the looking back memories, I, at least that's what I think at the time, and also being sort of an old fart out of touch, you know, like a lot of the stuff I do is like really um, influenced by Mad Magazine, and a lot, and Mad Magazine, you know, to, to do a successful issue of, Mash, of a Mad Magazine, you have to know a lot about what's going on around you, and mm -hmm. culture, yeah. movies, music, and I, I'm not really as in touch as I used to be, so I can't really make fun of like music stuff or whatever, you know, like 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 a chocolate magazine sort of thing, where it's like some of it's funny, but some of it's not really, you know, <laughs> you know. And, and, and I, it's not really funny. Like it's, it's you know, hearing about what a guest the, the humor and making a guest list that that's just not really very funny. So I used up all those ideas, and I don't know what's going on now, so I can't really do that anymore, and I don't have the time. So now I just do 
whenever I can, and they're usually like short things. But yeah, the, the navel gazing stories about me and whatever, I think I've used all of those. So, so what's interesting uh, about that is, is for me, it's almost like punk rock Harvey Picar in the fact that oftentimes. Uh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that because, like, Harvey, you know, like, I was a latecomer to Harvey Picar, but I saw the movie that they made about him. And yeah, that, American Splendor, yeah. That totally blew me away. You know, and you know, years before that, I saw the Crumb movie, and that kind of blew me away because you know, in the Crumb, the Crumb movie, he's the normal person in his family, which is just nuts. Yeah. And then the Harvey P. Car movie, there were so many parallels, and that's actually how I met Kristen. Is our our meeting is a very Harvey P. Car kind of story. It's really similar to to his story with his life, which is really really kind of weird. But um, I appreciate the comment. Or, or the compliment, I guess. Yeah, yeah, okay. and and it's and it's largely also, you know, the 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 w- same way that in Harvey Picar's work, he can make just a story that like literally is just him talking about like you know feeling kind of like out of touch with the world or whatever, and like it's like you know a two page comic, and it's really fascinating and interesting. And the same thing's true with a lot of the Manchild stuff. Even when you're talking about the same stuff that you've like talked about on this show, which is you know. Seinfeld like a comic book about nothing uh it it works and it's entertaining and that's something that a lot of people try to do and not always pull off is probably the nicest way I can put that (laughs) um well you know having having a little bit of life experience helps I guess because I I don't think I would have been smart enough to think of anything that (laughs) came that, that that now comes easier with the benefit of like life experience and failure and triumphs and thinking about like, you know, sometimes I think about all the time that I wasted, but at the same time, all the time that I wasted has placed me here right now talking to you. So, you know, everything, everything, everything has like, you know, a purpose or a reason or whatever. Um, you know, and like the, the, the upcoming book, um, you know, there's a big thread of just like what happens when people get older and they grow out of like something that they're associated with, but they still, they still have to get by. Maybe they didn't go to, maybe they didn't get a job where, you know, they went to learn how to be a dentist or whatever. They, you know, yeah. What you, you have to like learn how to figure out these things on your own, and you're not, you're suddenly not a part of something that was once really important, but you gotta provide and keep going and, and, and still try to have meaning in your life or whatever. So there's definitely some of that. In, the upcoming book. So. Finding ways to make it so, sustainable, so. finding paths forward, or carving your own path forward in some cases to, yeah. to make it work. Yeah, carving your own path. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's really, it's not easy, you know. And, and um, so that's that's been a bigger concern lately, you know, in the last 10 years because, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that's going out. You know, I have a kid. You know, I have a little family now. And it's like, you know, they, they come first. And, even if they didn't come first, I just feel like, you know, it's it's just not important as important to me to know everything and, and, and see everything because the priorities have shifted. But that never would have been the case like when I was fucking twenty five years old, I can assure you that. You know, <laughs> um sure, you know, yeah. people just yeah, people just kind of like, you know, um like the guy the the fifty five year old guy that wants to be the older the older father figure for the young kids in the scene and they're like the godfather and like fuck that. Like 
Uh, Meanwhile, the kids are like, who's this old guy? What's his deal? (laughs) He has a record collection to die for. What's his name? Old Man Crocus. Old Man Crocus has a record collection to die for. Sure, he's batshit crazy and pees in his pants and does that weird interpretive dance at the shows. The man in between is nonstop drinking. If you go to his one-bedroom apartment, he has a record collection to fucking die for. (laughs) Well, totally. I should so, use that. Yeah, it's good. That is good. I, I, I thought that was a pre-existing bit. That's. A, <laughs> I just made it up. I was gonna say it sounds like one old of your uh, one of your comics. I think that would be a solid old, <laughs> old man crocus, <laughs> which is just a funny name in general. Uh, so, did you ever did, did you decide on a name for the book? Like, I know you were kind of workshopping a few things for a while. I decided self and punishment was a good one, and a few people wrote me and said why would you call it that? And then I explained it and they're like, okay. And it's kind of like, because being self-employed is like yeah. sort of punishment. You know, I mean, it, 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 it kind of is trying to make things work. There's no security at all. You're living, you know, like that's one of, one of the, at least one of the okay things about, you know, um, the situation the world's in now. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm used to thinking like this now, you know, cause like, yeah, staying one step ahead of the spider, so to speak. Yeah, you know, like just trying to stay one step ahead and just assuming that it's all going to go down the toilet any day, which is not a healthy way to live, but it does produce results, you know. So, um, yeah, so I decided it's going to be self and punishment, um, and uh, I'm just going to stick with that. And there's like 30 or 40 interviews and... Uh, a book company called Telekinesis out of Southern California ran by a man named Mark Givens is putting it out and it's supposed to come out in September. And he's still, I, I checked in with him recently and I still have, it's still going to happen and he's excited. Yeah. The nice I thing about books is that you can still deal with books in, in quarantine. You can still read. You don't have to go I to a place still, with 400 people to go read a book. I can't I can't go on the imaginary book tour I guess that I'm fantasizing over but you know it'll still come out and I'll figure out a way of trying to make trying to drum up drum up interest um for it in this situation that we're all in but um I think it'll be pretty good you well, know. and you've got and a bunch of people covered. in it too that are, that are interesting and have interesting stories and their own paths that they've carved out for themselves and you're you're speaking with them and I think that alone oh, yeah. should a, be fascinating I, from the excerpts I've seen it looks really cool well, you've talked, yeah, well, thanks. Well, you've talked to some of those people, for sure, obviously. And, and uh, like, so, so all the Melvin's guys are in it. And, and um, you know, I've talked to, other, like, Michelle Langevin from Voivod. Um, I'm a big fan of both his music and his drumming and his artwork. And he's, he's almost like this weird French-Canadian version of myself, but probably more successful, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. He's a really nice guy, and he gave me a great, great interview like that, you know, because he's totally from my peer group, I guess, you know, so that was great. And almost, it's a good mixture of people that people already know about and people that maybe aren't as well-known, but they're still doing exactly the same sort of thing, carving out you know, something. And then there's a few other people that don't necessarily really fit in with it. Like, um, I have a friend of mine that, um, is, has been associated with baseball for a long time. He was a pro ball player. Uh, his name is Scott Radinsky. Mm. And he's probably one of my oldest 
friends, we were in a band called Scared Straight. We were like children in Sea Valley, California. And of course, his path has nothing to do with being self-employed or whatever, but there's a lot of weird parallels. And he has such an interesting story, and he's such a good guy that it's like, well, I definitely want him to be in here. Because, you know, how many how many retired pro ball players do you know that are still associated with baseball? Yeah, they are, are, and, uh, and that are available to speak to those experiences because this is not a tale that's normally told, right? So that's fascinating. Yeah, and he told me, you know, he still sings in the band called Pulley, and there's guys in that band that I've been friends with for a long, for like 30, 40 years too, back in Simi Valley, there's, you know, Sky Mike and all the other guys are pretty nice. They're like Ventura County guys. And like, uh, you know, like Scott still sings. I think he has more time to sing now. I think the baseball thing, I don't know exactly what's going on. I know he's still involved, but he has a little bit more time. So he's had these two dual identities for like 30 years where, you know, he, he plays baseball. And then on the off season, he plays in the band that's been around forever. And they just do a bunch of stuff in this short window. And, People like them in, in that world that they're in, and you know, and we're still friends, and it's you know, it's a great story. So that's another reason why I thought it'd be good to have them in there. So I, I think it'll be pretty good, you know. Well, and it's interesting too because I think that I think the whole format of it's pretty cool because you get a situation where you're asking, if not the same, similar style questions to people, and getting a different uh, breadth and a breadth of field of answers. And oh, yeah. I'm sure there are certain corollaries that are true amongst all the, the, the different people, but it's, it's almost just as fascinating to see the contrast as well. And what, what I think of maybe in a less focused way is that uh, if you remember that book, the onion did the tenacity of the cockroach where they just like talked to different, it was like collected interviews from like different people. Like they had um, ugh, the guy ran and Stimpy creator. Um, I'm, blanking out his name right right I've, I, I've never heard of that book but that sounds really you know interesting i'm not sure if it's still in print but they just they would have um they would ha- they would have a bunch of just very like interesting creative people on and it, it was because c- it was collected off of like interviews off of like the site and the well the newspaper which yeah. to think about there used to be a print version of the onion that you, <laughs> I mean I remember like going be being excited to be in the Midwest on tour and well let's grab a copy of the onion right but you know of course now it's right. only an online now, thing now, uh, yeah now look it's weird yeah yeah so but the the, uh, the idea being that they all the correlating factor with all the artists that they had in this all these different conversations with different types of people in and around entertainment was you know what their what their path was to get there you know if it if it worked out if it didn't work out uh you know your berkeley breathe dr demento like henry rollins krs1 like all these types of people that you know varied people various different types of people and and one of the reasons one of the things i really liked about that was because it showed all the differences and it showed all the different paths that were and how there's and I'm still I'm still blanking on Ren and Stimpy guy's uh, name, but basically he he blew it all. I don't up. know his name. And he's brilliant. That that dude is like hilarious and brilliant. But just like what he what he tells in the story is that he doesn't really play that well with others. <laughs> that's right. what it comes down to, and that's fine because some people some artists are don't right. But it, oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's interesting to to have it all collected in, with those interviews, and I bet 
what I'm what I'm getting around to with that is I bet your book's going to be the same way uh, in the fact that you're going to find even if there's similar paths, there's just by nature with the personalities and backgrounds of the people involved, you'll be able to learn a lot about yeah. those people well, as well as the idea of what it means to carve out your own path and, and, and find it a way to be sustainable. That's it. I mean, like, um, you know, like, it, it, I'm trying to think of a good way of putting it. It's kind of like everything I've ever done, like creatively, like at least drawing wise, just tied in with music because I always loved music. So it was only natural that I would draw people that played in these bands and, oh, I can actually draw them. And, you know, I like this band. I'm going to go pay tribute to them by drawing this. But like, you know, with any, you know, with music, it's like you're just looking for that kernel, that spark of something that makes you like it so much that you, you want to play it five times in a row because you can't believe that you, man, this is so good. I can't believe it. And that still happens, you know, but it's, doesn't happen as much, obviously, whatever. But that kernel of, of that spark is also the kind of thing that really drove doing that book. You know, like all these people have done such great stuff. You know, the Buzz and Dale and, and, and Michelle from Voivod and, and Lou Barlow. You know, he gave me a great interview with a lot of really great stuff. You know, William Duvall, you know, who's now in Alice in Chains, but has this huge career before that of doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, did Neon Christ in Atlanta, and uh, he's a really unique, interesting person that's really talented, and he came out of that punk rock world, too, and, you know, like, all these people have provided this sort of spark that I, you know, I kind of look for to be inspired to keep going on, you know, because people need art and music and stuff, so the whole book is sort of a tribute to, to the people that are interviewed in it, and their influence on me and their influence on the world and how, like, you know, when you when you hear something that you like a lot that changes your life, you're not trying to necessarily, if you try to play music, you're like, I'm going to beat that. You're just trying to be inspired by it to do something of your own that you like as much or that's your own personal thing. So I think a lot of that the upcoming book just centers around people and that spark. You know, like, like Stephen McDonald, I, I, his interview was great, by the way. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah, I, I, that was. Yeah. He's. he's a, I feel like we could have gone another guy. hour and still not gotten everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's so interesting. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a very interesting guy, but like, he like you know like his motivation is he him and his brother love music and he just wants to rock out and it's really pure. You know, he's really their their lives were changed by music in the same way that your life was changed by music or. My Life, or Lee Barlow, or Buzz, or Jeff Pincus, or, you know, whoever else, you know, that's going to be Lori Barbero, you know, anybody else, you know, that the music and the stuff around it change our lives, so it's kind of like, that's sort of the spark, so, and uh, so that's, it's like, a, it's almost like a tribute to that spark, and, and also to the idea of, like, having that spark influence you to carve out something of your own. And everybody in the book has carved out right. something of their own that's unique to, to them. And that's, you know, that's that's the whole gist of it. And I've let a few people read some of it, and they said, well, this book is actually going to be very inspiring to a lot of people. And, you know, it helps. Obviously, I can't say, you know, who the hell knows what's going to happen. But, like, I, I think it's going to be good, and I hope it does, you know. I mean, I'm, I can't, you know, obviously I can't say, yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be a million <laughs> selling. Right, but I yeah. think it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting to the, 
to the people that like that sort of thing. It's not going to be a lot of people, but I think the people that that like it could probably get something out of it, I hope. So I guess we'll see. (laughs) Can you speak a little bit to how you ended up being the designated merch person for Melvin's? And then also, I I can't believe we haven't discussed it yet, but I I also want to talk about the the drawings you do, the, the art you do, that are like the various spoofs and homages to, you know, different movies, to different like famous it's, it's album bad. covers, comics, et cetera, et cetera. It's, bad. it's just, it's just bad magazine. Yeah. Really. You know, um, well, I met, I met those guys in 1986, like a few months after I moved, I moved out to uh, the East coast from Southern California. I oddly, I read about Maxwell Rockville. And we just became friends and stayed in touch. And I used to actually go out and visit them when they restarted in San Francisco, like after they they recorded Ozma and stuff. And you know nobody really liked them. And, and you know they were the feature, and I was very taken by them. And they were nice people. And and then you know eventually the world started um, believing in the Melvins. And you know, but at first people fucking hated. They, they did not like the Melvins at all, at all. It was a very small group of people that would put up with that kind of stuff. And, you know, they were in uncharted territory. It was like a new sheriff was in town. You know, you had Black Flag, you had these bands and those bands, and then you had these guys. And, uh, you know, eventually they found success and kept going. And then I think what happened was, um, it was right when they had the two drummer thing at first, and... Um, a friend of Buzz's um, named John John Raymond, brother of another friend of his, a childhood friend, I think. They went to high school with Dan Raymond. Uh, I think John went out on a big tour for a senile animal and just didn't like it. It was, I think they went on a three-month tour. And then suddenly there was an opening because he wasn't going to do that anymore. And so I was invited to be a part of their road crew, but I didn't even know what I was going to be doing. And, until I actually landed in Los Angeles. I had no idea what I was going to be doing. You know, mm. Was I going to be like setting up a drum set? Was I going to be doing that? <laughs> right. You're, you're just out. there to be auxiliary <laughs> auxiliary staff, and you're not exactly certain what the role is going to be at that point. Oh, yeah, I just didn't know. And it turned out I was going to be like selling merch. And that's just how it started. And, you know, um, yeah, that, 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 that's it. And, you know. Um, of course, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen now. You know, like at, at the end of every tour, I always think, well, that's that's going to be it. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I've I've thought that for ten years, and you know, who knows? Um, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, that it, it, it's been a an interesting experience. And then, like doing all those posters and stuff, just kind of came from actually being a part of the. I, before I worked for them, I went out for a few weeks on the senile animal tour and I was just helping out or getting in the way or being stupid or whatever. And then I just started drawing stuff on the back of these like posters. Cause that was when the poster stuff was ramping up and, uh, I would just draw stupid, silly shit. And then I took suggestions from like Buzz and Dale and that's what started. And at first they were all really mean and, and just, you know, with their encouragement, you know, like just, making fun of Kurt Cobain and stuff like that. And it, it took a very short amount of time to realize that they actually really, and still like Kurt Cobain, but just they were making fun of what he had 
turned into, not him personally, but yeah. like the status he had and whatever. The it deification, like per- the perception, of, you know, the, the larger than life perception. Yeah. The perception of somebody that actually apparently was a really cool guy and had a really good sense of humor, you know? So they're, you know, it's that kind of thing. But yeah, but, um, and that's how all those, that stuff started. And then, you know, Buzz kept letting me do it. And, um, there you go. And, uh, so what do you find? Uh, what do you find like moves the most, like uh, on the merch table? Like what are what are folks? Because of course you do sell them at the merch table along with everything else, and you sell them online. Well, what, what do you find people like engage with the most? You mean like we mean as far as Melvin stuff or, is, or the for, stuff for, I draw? for your for your art for these for these sketches for these uh, you know lampoons anything about anything about Grinch anything about Kurt Cobain because there's a, always going to be people that have the association yeah. Uh, with with Nirvana, so you know, and and since Nirvana's not there, the people that really like Nirvana have to go to the next closest thing. <laughs> and uh, there, there, there's many versions of the next closest thing, but the Melvins have always been to some of those people. Like there's always some like, on almost ten years of shows, there's always some shows where the, the vans will show up, and there's some wounded-looking Kurt Cobain, junkie-looking guy, slunked slumping against the wall outside the club four hours earlier before the band gets there and they're holding a bunch of records and a pen and they look like they're they look like they're really dejected and sad and they're usually fans of Nirvana and they look like Kurt Cobain and there's always somebody that looks like that almost every night so so you know there's like there's, there's a certain type of there's certain types of people and you know um Anything about Nirvana is popular. Um, I was having fun with like political people because um, you know that's you know it's low hanging it's low hanging fruit you know but really almost anything I, I've done some really obscure things and even those have sold but you know um, sometimes you just kind of miss the window of of the uh, target of your satire and nobody's too interested and you also don't want to get too smart. <laughs> I've been told that a lot. You, you, you don't want to. Smart. You don't want to pitch it above your audience. <laughs> well, you know, like, well, like when you go to see shows, you always hear people say, "Well, this this band has stupid fans," and it's like, dude, every band has stupid. You know, every yeah, yeah. no matter how intelligent the band is, or whatever you think they are, every band has the same fans, more or less. You know, there isn't there. there at least that's been my experience with, like, you know bands that play heavy loud rock music as long as people sell alcohol it's the same audience yeah know? even if they're so smart like, they can definitely get dumb during the duration of the show by for sure yeah i mean i'm not i'm not against getting dumb you know yeah. some of the some of the smartest stuff is dumb like um like the ramones their whole thing was we're dumb but they're not obviously not they, they were obviously not dumb at all but to act like you're that dumb it's really smart, you know? <laughs> right. so, so, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, some of the artwork, if, you know, like, like smoking pot's great. I mean, you know, just like, you know, I'm high. You know, like, you know, Buzz smokes pot. It's like, yeah, that's funny. You know, he must smoke a ton of pot. Oh, yeah, he really does. Oh, yeah, he's, he's all about it. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's like, welded to his bong. Just been, <laughs> yeah, it's just been 10 years of nonstop bong hits between everybody. <laughs> exactly. So usually the dumbest, the dumbest thing is the best thing, and if I get too clever, I, I know instantly 
and I'll pay for it. Like, uh, hmm, I think somebody in the Melvin's audience is going to want this Harry Nelson parody. But right. having said that, I have sold Harry Nelson parodies. For I sure. thought that was fantastic, but I'm also a big Nelson fan too. So, you know, hey. Yeah, but you know what I mean? It's like, who, it's like doing, um, who'd be the equivalent of Harry Nelson? It'd be like doing like a Melvin Scott Walker poster you know like yeah. sparks hey i know you yeah. like clutch i know you like clutch but i bet you like scott walker too so check this out <laughs> hey you guys like you uh hey you in the uh, in the sleep t-shirt want this jeff buckley homage you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and you know there's like i was talking earlier about about the stereotypes of 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 audience members there's always like the dude with the clutch t-shirt and the baseball hat backwards and everybody has a full sleeve and that kind of thing. And yeah. Muscle down. And, you know, so there's, there's those guys. There's all types of people. There's tons of a stereotypical rocker kind of uh, audience. And, you know, that's just how it goes. So, yeah, I would say the dumber it is, the better it usually is and the more successful it is. If I get too clever, I know instantly and I probably won't sell it. But if it's really dumb, or making fun of something really obvious That's that usually thing. works. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's it's true, you know. Just I mean, like music, it really is the truth. <laughs> well, you know, some, well, you know, like like who was I thinking about the other day? I was thinking about Guns and Roses. Mm-hmm. I was wasting time on the internet and um, selling stuff and getting packed up, and I was reading about you know, like your your entry te- your your entry point into whatever is your entry point, but like. I was reading somebody talk about how dangerous Guns N' Roses were and how, you know, like they were just a breath of fresh air and all. Well, you know, I, again, it just depends on their entry point. But I always thought Guns N' Roses just sounded like Aerosmith and had two good songs. And, you know, but I'm not, I'm not criticizing their success or, 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 oh, sure. or think, you know, who cares? They're millionaires. I'm just, I'm just a dude living in North Carolina. But, you know, it's just your entry, entry point. And, and I was thinking about, like, man, so many people think that they're the most dangerous rock and roll band in the world because that's their entry point, and God bless them. <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, and, and, and that's—I mean—that's fine. Like personally, I don't—I don't like Guns N' Roses at all. I find them to be incredibly annoying and overhyped, and I never was was into it. But it's also like it's okay to like different things. Like it's, it's, you know, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to like trash someone for being like a big guns and roses fan. It's like, okay, it's, that's fine. It speaks to you and it's for you. And that's nice. Just don't, well, don't be mystified when I don't like it. Well, didn't Stephen McDonald say when he talked to you, he's like, that some, sometimes so much of your identity is, especially when you're young, is yeah. rooted in well, I, I mean, I like this. And if you like this, or you like guns and roses, then you're the enemy. And, and that's my identity, and you know that's almost what people do with you know political stuff sometimes. But you know yeah, how important that's, it is. It's back to the sorting identity, hat, you know, almost, like, right? Yeah, we're, yeah. We're... <laughs> but I'm not saying. But I'm not saying I haven't done that a thousand times. I have, but I'm just aware of it now. Whereas before, I, I wouldn't be aware of it. But it, you know, it, it's really you know your opinions about those things at, at certain times seem so important. You know. That even now, if I read some stupid thing about Guns N' Roses, I can't help but have a knee-jerk reaction to it, even though I don't really care or have any ill will toward any, you know. It's just music, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so It's, it's going to be um, okay. It's not, it's not going to negatively affect your life yeah, in any way. You're not being forced to listen to it, you know, hopefully. 
Yeah, it's okay, buddy. You don't have to like this. It's fine. And if millions of people like it, that's fine, too. It'd be a boring world if we all liked the same thing. Right, right, right. So so back back to the merch table stuff. The, the uh, Most people don't realize how grueling of a job working merch can be. And, and there's... There's a few ways that I, that I could phrase this, and some of them would, would be negative. But what I would like to do is phrase it this way: Would you have any tips for fans of the Melvins or you know any bigger band merch table tips? We're going to throw out there. It's not going to be tell me your worst story or tell me the things that are most annoying yeah. to you. It's going to be okay, what the first thing. Thing, the first thing. The first thing that you should do is read. Now, if you don't know <laughs> how to read, then you ask questions. You right. walk up and you read. Before you ask anything, just read. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be don't put your drinks on the counter on top of the merchandise of the records and the books and the CDs and the special home-printed silk street covers. That's the second thing. So read, learn how to read, read stuff first before you ask any questions. And then the third thing I think people need to realize is and I, and I don't know why this is a situation for rock venues and stuff. It's like, understand that I can't hear you. <laughs> okay, right off the bat, I can't hear you. Right. You know why I can't hear you? Because we're at a loud rock concert, and between the loud rock music, every fucking club across the country has to play loud rock music between the loud rock music. I've, I've never gotten that, and I don't like so it. So loud. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. it was, it's so fucking weird. And it's so loud that people can't talk. It, it almost seems like that's by design. Like, I don't want to have a conversation with somebody that I'm friends with at a show. I just want to yell at their ear and hear, like, a third of what they're saying. So that's the other thing that these people just need to realize is I can't hear you. And if you walk up and you're five feet away and you open your mouth, I can't hear that. So those would be my first three things. Learn how to read. Don't put your drink on the counter and know that I can't hear you. And uh, that's that. That's a good starting point. <laughs> so right think, there, that's a good starting point. So, so this would be like a, a merch table etiquette kind of punch list, uh, if you well, will. Well, the other thing, the other thing, and, 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 and I, I have to accept some of the blame for this. You know, a lot of what I, I do is based out of being sarcastic and stuff. But unfortunately... A lot of times I can't recognize sarcasm when other people do it to me in real life, you know? And there's a certain part of uh, um, younger culture, not even really younger, just sort of like that sort of hipster culture where everybody has to out-sarcastic you at yeah. every turn. Yeah. So you can't you can't just walk up and have a normal conversation. You have to, oh, that's really great. You know, it's like that Simpsons episode. Where, Are you being sarcastic? I don't, I don't even know, know anymore. anymore. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know anymore, dude. <laughs> and it's like, so there's a lot of there's a lot of that where it's like you can't even have like a, a pleasant exchange with somebody without thinking that it's some kind of race to see who's the most sarcastic or whatever, or you know, and you know, and, and there's thanks to the Melvins, there's you know, there's been a good amount of people who've been turn on to what I do and I'm you know, grateful for that. But it also means that if they think I'm the certain way, then I'm going to get that sort of ultra sarcastic, whatever. And then the other thing that people do, which I think is really funny, is they think if they say stuff that's bad or negative about the band, especially the records, like, oh, why is this record so much? I just will stare at them blankly and go, I don't know. Because they don't really want an explanation. No, no, these records to... are for these records are for a very small group of people 
at the show. Yeah. You know, the people that want the stuff know they want the stuff and they get it. And most of the other people that don't know anything about it don't want it. And those are the people that come up and go, why is this? It's like, and they're dicks, you know? <laughs> it's like, so now I just, you know, um, I, I've developed kind of a thick skin at times, but every once in a while the skin gives way and I still, you know, I'll have the occasional. I've had some weird encounters with people, you know, like I, I'm surprised I haven't been beat up yet. Uh, I had, I'll have um, usually one or two very unpleasant experiences on every trip, and that's just how it goes, you know. Some people are nice, and some people are not. Most people are fine, you know. You almost want to... Oh, go ahead, sir. The people that aren't nice, the people that aren't nice stand out more, unfortunately. And you think that there's a lot more of them than they are, but, you know, there's no shortage of... uh, uncomfortable, awkward encounters. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm awkward at times myself, you know? So, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting situation. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to say to your earlier point, you almost want to have a sign up that says maybe it's not for you that they would also not read, uh, when it comes time for asking why something's too expensive, because it's, it's, that is such a thing that it's hard. It's hard for people to grasp that the way bands have to operate now is you know it's not just like oh there's one thing where it's a one size fits all everything out here is going to be of interest to everybody that comes up like far from it everything is as niche as possible every every band has to have sure. practically an Etsy store <laughs> everybody has to re- everybody yeah everybody had to reinvent what they're going to try to do to make money since people don't you know buy music anymore or whatever and uh, you know the Melvins certainly figured that out very early on and. You know, they do a really good job with it. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, as far as, like, the records and stuff and the boutique items, the people that like it, like it and get it, but then a lot of people are just not interested in that kind of thing. But the people that like it really like it. Uh, right. So I'm trying to think of some other etiquette tips. I don't know. Uh, you know, but, uh, again, the majority of people are, are are pretty cool, or at least neutral, you know. Yeah, so, fine. You know, like whatever. Not it is. It, <laughs> it is what it is. I notice a lot of people come out and sign stuff after they're set, and the Melvins don't do that. At least they haven't yet. You know, are they going to come out and sign stuff after the show? No, no, they never do that. What? No, they don't. Can you imagine some of those guys out there signing stuff? Oh my god! Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, just th- just think about that for a second. See yeah. what you know about those guys. Yeah. How would that go over? Yeah, Not really yeah. very well. Yeah, I think you think this is an entirely different experience than it actually is. <laughs> like you've seen the thing, and like you should be happy to, for that. And like they're well, not you know, obligated people... to to spend like three hours talking to people that have nothing to say and uh, you know signing whatever obscure seven inches or whatever. whatever yeah, well, really. so, you know, like. You know, like, I imagine what I would be like if some, if suddenly there was somebody I really admired and they were eating at a table in a restaurant and I happened to be there and I looked over and there's, uh, what's a good example of somebody that I would never bother? Nick Cave. Let's say Nick Cave is eating with his entourage. If I even had the guts to say anything, I would go up and just say, because everybody in, you know, it's an unfair position and somebody like that has heard everything yeah. complimentary about them forever. So I would maybe, I, if I couldn't help myself, I'd say, hey, keep up the good work. I'm a big fan. 
Actually, no, I wouldn't even say I'm a big fan because that's what people say when they justify being a dick to you. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Yeah, and now, now I'm going to say a, something terrible. I can be a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can be an asshole to you because I'm a big fan of you. Yeah, yeah. Like, great. That's great. No, but, you know, I would say, I don't know, keep up the good work and then leave them alone. You know, I wouldn't want I I wouldn't want him to sign anything. I wouldn't want anything more just to let him know that I think he's done some stuff that has really inspired me, and and uh, I, I appreciate that your existence has put a certain amount of beauty in my life. So thank you very much for that, and I'm going to leave you alone. So it'd be something like that, right? Because it's not like. <sighs> It's not like that sort of interaction isn't necessarily going to be unwelcome, but you don't have any way of knowing because there's a, a timeline going on that has nothing to do with you or your interests. And the reaction may not have anything to do with you as a person or what you have to say, but it's even sure. worse if you have nothing to say and you just want to have an interaction, which seems to happen all the time. A lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like an, an interaction with no purpose, really. You know, it's yeah, like, like, what are we? Um, like, what? Like, what usually has happened on these tours is I have a certain amount of markers and I just keep them to myself because, hey, can I borrow that marker? No. Because what they want to do is they it's after the show and there's somebody walking around and they want an autograph. But, you know, you sign this? Well, do you have a piece of paper? No. Do you have a pen? No. I'll borrow it. Said, no, I'm not giving you my pen because you're just going to walk off drunk with it afterwards and I'm going to, you know. That kind of thing. Yeah, I need. So this. you know, <laughs> I, I understand. I understand the whole idea behind it because there's been times I've had to say stuff to people that I admired, but now I, I, I think I just would be too embarrassed about it. That if I had to say it, it would just be very short, and then I'd feel, I'd still feel stupid afterwards, you know. So, um, you know, you're 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 meeting people that have done something that means so much to you. It's just an unfair advantage. You're not really meaning anybody. You're not really having a natural... It's just weird. The whole thing is weird, you know? That's the other thing about, like, those tours. It's just weird watching the uh, reactions and stuff, you know? And you can spot the cool people a mile away. And the cool people are always the first people to leave for, before the show's over. Yeah. Because they gotta ho- they got to go home and do their cool things. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. They're not going to sit around you know looking I mean? for tomorrow markers necessarily to... The bar markers are inviting you to their house to go to drink some brewskis or whatever. You know, it's weird. The whole mentality is just very strange, but you know, it's understandable. And at, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's grateful. You know, nobody has to pay. I, I always say this about stuff I do. Nobody has to pay any attention to anything I've ever done. And people, the fact that people do and are willing to give money is a huge compliment and something that I can't take lightly. You know, you know, so, um, and I, you know, it's, it's great, you know, cause it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm sure, I'm sure all these people that play in bands feel the same way. It's so, just that meeting everybody's kind of scary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Certainly. And so that, so you don't go out to shows much these days. No. I was established. I, I read the comics and I know, but do you, do you ever play at all? Do you ever play? drums anymore or? i haven't I, I i miss it i haven't played the last band i was in we just kind of canceled the band after just due to a lack of interest you know like we couldn't really wow. we 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 did what i thought was you know some good music but you know that doesn't really mean anything and also i'm just not really at the point of my life where i can really devote a whole lot of time 
to uh to doing that you know like but um i miss it it's been at least a couple of years i i, I recorded some music with this friend of mine mike dean that i've known for a long time that plays and encouraged me performed he knows how to record music and do all this stuff and he had some ideas i guess and we did a bunch of that but he's already in a bunch of bands and and uh you know now he's quarantined and stuff but that was the only time i picked up uh, drumsticks of like at least two years, like two, two, almost two and a half years. Um, I miss it, but I don't, I don't miss the feeling of having to think I have to be in a band. If that makes any sense. No, no. I, After I, I, 30 I years. Yeah. Well, because that, that, that's also a useful thing where it's like, you know, now I got all these other priorities. I got like this small family, you know, and I have to take care of that. I've missed playing drums, but I don't miss being in the band. I don't, I don't even know what people do anymore to like be in the band that makes it successful enough to even pay your rent or, you know, I just have, I have no idea, you know, do people even like, I, I just don't know. I have it, it's such a different world now that the idea of being 54 years old and, and you know, like it's, it's, it's inevitable that I'm going to play again, I'm sure. But I don't know. The whole idea about being in a band, that's why people, I notice when they get older and they've done a bunch of music, they call bands projects. <laughs> they don't want to commit to, they don't want to commit to saying it's a band because there's like a lot of negative, you know, you put your heart and soul to this stuff and then nobody cares. Or even worse, you're not, you're not any good and you don't know it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there was that. And, uh, Davidians, the last band I was in, um, it was one of those things where, like, we broke up, and our singer said, "Well, we were a good band. It's not our fault if nobody liked it." And I thought that's a very good attitude to take in the face of failure. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. It just, <laughs> it just depends. It just depends on what your motivation is. You know, like for me, I always like drums, but I still like playing drums. But I don't feel like I have to always play drums. I guess, and if I don't feel that way if you're not driven by it then i guess you shouldn't be doing it but you know if the right person called me up and said hey man are you willing to drive here and practice with us and if it was like people that i felt strongly enough about like let's say this would never happen but let's say if the band honor roll reformed with everybody but their drummer and they wanted me to play drums yeah i would do whatever it would take to drive to richmond or you know i would make time for that because i felt so strongly about that music that if that was going to happen, I would do it. No questions asked, but just to do something because I felt like I had to do it. I'm not so sure about that so anymore. Not your scene, yeah. And also it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking, you know, it's, it, you know, and I'm like 30 years past having all my dreams crushed about music anyway. So it's kind of like, <laughs> if anything, if anything good did happen, <laughs> you know, well, you know, like, my idea of success and other people's ideas of success are two different things. Like, yeah. um, like when I interviewed Stephen McDonald, to me, Stephen McDonald is a successful guy. Um, but there's a part of Stephen's personality, and I'm not trying to speak for him, but, you know, like, he is, has, in, in the interview at least we did, he has been kind of a little self-conscious about things that didn't work out for Red Cross. Right. And to me, those were still successes. Yeah. And, like, right now, he has the highest profile he's ever had in his life, and he's, like, a good dude. So, to me, what he's done, I would consider a total success. 
but to him, maybe because he was shooting a little higher or whatever he said, you know, uh, Bill Stevenson of the Descendants, Black Flag, I interviewed him. He gave me a great interview. He made me promise not to really share it on social media. But, you know, his review sort of the same thing. He thinks, you know, a part of him, again, not trying to speak for him, but my take was that he felt like he blew it in huh. a certain way with wow. doing something. But to me... Yeah, not at all. This is the guy that... <laughs> not at all. I mean, it's yeah, like, exactly. Are, are, you, are, are, you guys, are you working at Taco Bell? No. Bill Stevenson records and, and engineers music, and, and he's a well-respected yeah. musician, so, songwriter, sorted. Like he's, he's been on, like, so many iconic records. He, like, has been, like, an, an influential, you know, I- iconic he, drummer. Oh, yeah, he's a huge influence to me as a drummer. And, you know, but, you know, that's, again, my take on, like, what he's done is going to be different than what Bill might think about it or Steven or whatever. Um, I know that they've had more success, maybe maybe not monetarily, you know, um, always, but just success in having been a part of these great acts and great bands and tours and recordings, you know, like... You know, Bill played on the first Descendants record, which is one of the greatest drumming twenty forces for an eighteen year old or nineteen year old that anyone's ever done. A super influential record. Uh Steven, you know, they did the Team Bays record. That was like a huge, hugely important record to a lot of people like me that maybe didn't know about things like David Bowie in nineteen eighty four. I really didn't. You know, right. some people like, you know, Buzz did of course, but you know, I I, I wasn't you know, I wasn't up on like that or I, you know, so, or even the Stooges, you know, like yeah. I would read about the Stooges and Cream Magazine. And when I finally got the first Stooges record in high school, I was really into, you know, Killers by Iron Maiden. So the idea of like the same riff over and over with like 50 words in one song, just, uh, you know, I didn't get it, you know. Um, so, you know, like the Team Babes record was like sort of the introductory like an almost like an introduction class to other young sort of ignorant punker people to check out this older music that would, you know, they would end up checking out anyway, you know? So like, yeah, that's very, to me, that's very successful. You know, like, you know, um, I was a part of some stuff that was pretty cool, but nothing like, nothing like that. So to me, when I went, when I interviewed those guys, I consider that to be a massive success, but it's, yeah. A different kind of success, I guess. Right. Depends on what your metrics for it are. Right. So, so Brian, I'm so glad that we got to do this. I'm so after, especially after talking about it for so damn long. Uh, oh, I, yeah, this is great. I had I, I had a great time. Is this is this the kind of thing that you're going to be able to like repost and share? Yeah, yeah. So it's all podcasted, and um, it's well, it goes to people who support the show, Patreons first. That like. They, you spend a dollar a month, you get all the episodes basically almost immediately, and then it's like about a probably about a week and a half turnaround at this point because we got so many of them because I've been doing so many of them. Uh, That's cool. I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> the the nice thing about the quarantines that we're in is that uh, people. People are around to listen to stuff, and that's that's uh, it's it's been nice that the show has been a social gathering point for people that cannot socially gather. And that's that's. Have you been amazing. able to like? Have you been able to get a lot some good feedback from? Are people grateful that you're doing this? Do you get some nice feedback? Yeah, the, the show's probably grown more in the past three weeks than it has for the past three years. Frankly, <laughs> that's awesome. And do you, are you have you been able to make a tiny bit of money off people that are actually 
fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like whatever. It's it's not going to pay the rent or you know even like utility bills necessarily. But like it's it, people are willing. People are people are stepping up and and throwing in money for uh, on the Patreon, which I think there's a more incentive to do it when there's so many episodes coming out because people are like, oh, I really want to hear Jerry Casale. I really want to hear you know Dwayne Dennison. It's like, well. It'll be up when sure. it's up, and if you want to hear it now, you need to pay. You need to pony up a buck. It's not that much, and um, considering yeah. how many people actually listen to the show, uh, it's it's something that it, it makes sense that some folks would want to throw down for it. But it also, I realize, yeah. asking someone to pay for something that they can also get for free if they just wait is uh, something of a fool's yeah. errand. So for me, it's as much about engagement with the listening audience because it's such a passive medium. It's a passive medium that you put out there. You never know who's listening, what they're getting out of it, unless they just will come up to me at a show, frankly, where we're on tour and like, they'll just be like, Hey man, I really like the show. And I'm like, Oh wow, cool. Thanks. And it's always like a shock to me because the interaction sort of ends when the show ends and you never know how it's being perceived or enjoyed. So, I know it's the, it's the same thing on those Melvins tours. You know, people come up and say some nice stuff, but I, other than that, I don't have any way of gauging. You know, what people think about stuff in real life when you step away from like a Facebook comment, right? You know, I don't really know. Yeah, you, you and you have no way of knowing. So for me, the Patreon is as much just keeping the engagement in my mind that there are people that have made this a part of their life in whatever way. And that it, it keeps me focused on that. And then also, you know, f- frankly, if you're impatient and you got, you know, $12 a year to spend on something, <laughs> you could do a little hey, as well. You know? <laughs> right. All right. Well, maybe I have to. The only person I've supported on Patreon now is like, there's a guy from the band Propagandy that has, has a, a thing. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. And oh, I know uh, Kristen from uh, Harvey Milk's got one as well, but I, th- it's usually like, it's usually the worst things ever. Like it's usually things I'm like, ugh, terrible for uh, for my taste. I should say that, but there's, I know there's a right, few right. things out there. Right. Like I, I like I like podcasts. And I like listening to people talk. And you know, I like I like all that stuff. So, uh, well, you know, thanks again for thinking of me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so since you've listened to the show, you know, there's a canned question that, that I usually do at the end of it, which is just, why do you do what you okay. do? Okay. Why do I do what I do? Because um, it's. Because it's the only thing I know how to do that keeps me sane. That would be it. It's important to stay sane, especially in these uh, quarantine times that that we that we live in. Yes, very much so. Brian, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, for being on the show. Thank you, Conan. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to hearing if I came off intelligent or not. <laughs> you came off great, buddy. Thank you. Stay safe out there. All right. You too, man. All right, brother. All right. Bye. Oh, there he goes. Let's hear, uh, let's hear some rock post rock.
That's right. Fade it out, fucker. <laughs> That's Rock Post Rock by Polvo. <clears throat> Featuring none other than Mr. Brian Walsby. Is this thing on? On the drums. That's off of the uh, Shapes record. Uh, we talked about that, amongst many other things. Many other things were, were spoken of. Yeah. Awesome dude. We have been talking about doing that for quite some time. I, I, everything, maybe it's because I'm doing so many of these. I feel like I repeat myself constantly, and it's a pet peeve of mine. My dad does it, so apologies if that's actually happening. How can you not repeat yourself when you have the same outro and intro music, though? Maybe I'm overthinking this. Probably. Well, hey, overthink this. You've been listening to Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal yet again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Today's guest was Mr. Brian Walsby, cartoonist, merch guy, punk rock historian, former Polvo, shiny beast. You heard it. You heard. (laughs) This was episode 164. Brian Walsby's on Facebook, Instagram. I don't remember if he's on Twitter. I think he's on Twitter. You can find his stuff at uh, Bifocal Media. I think some of it's on Amazon, uh, if you must. Yeah, whatever. I've got 50,000 watts of power. This has been another stay-at-home edition of Protonic Reversal. Thank you for listening to it. There's on Radio Nope. Live. Podcast at RadioNeutron.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal if you want the episode sooner. Dollar a month. Turn sound into electricity. Stay safe, everybody. And as always, can you hear me now? Take it easy. Route 128, dark and lonely. Got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. See? 